Welcome, everybody. This is the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Every week, we bring you the voices and the stories of those who are making a difference in the lives of others around the world. We see this job of sharing inspiration as something that is a part and a parcel of what happens in Rotary International. Over 1 million people in 36,000 plus clubs who, who take it seriously, starting projects that make the world better locally, globally, and digitally. Our speaker today, Millie Adhikari, is part of the Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation. And this is, this is one of those topics that always benefits from having everyone stop and go, hmm, tell me more about that. And so we're very excited that she has agreed to tell us more about the work that she is doing, in addition to how it relates to her work as a student. So with that, Millie, I hand the microphone over to you. Welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Thank you. Thank you so much. So good afternoon, namaste, and hello to all members and guests of the Silicon Valley Rotary E-Club, both present and in the future. Thank you first and foremost for having me here. I'm honored to be here today as I am every time that there is a space created to speak about the unspeakable taboos of menstruation, the stigma of the menstruating body, the adverse impact of menstrual discrimination on every intricate fold of our society, and the origin of this discrimination that seeps in misogyny and patriarchy, the very crux of this manifestation. So today I am here as the director for Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation North America Chapter and for the steering committee member and founder of Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation. It's a little while for me to be here to speak about this when just back in 2018, the Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation was just an idea and a dream. A dream to unite and collaborate in coalition with the international menstrual movement from non-governmental organizations, governments, and individuals to transform the menstrual movement to center dignity as the mechanism for dismantling the misogynistic and patriarchal discriminations that exist against menstruation and menstruators. My story began there in Nepal with the epiphany of dignified menstruation and how it bled into every sector of our lives, seamlessly weaving the power dynamics between the menstruators and non-menstruators and upholding these fabrics of patriarchy and misogyny. It changed the way that I viewed the world, my current clinical practices as a medical student aspiring to be an OBGYN, my advocacy as a menstrual and sexual health educator and activist, my work as a birth-working doula, and myself as a menstruator. And while Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation blossomed in 2018, our chapters now are over 15 countries and over hundreds of members. Our work originally began more than 40 years ago in Nepal, initiated by Radha Paudel, a nurse, a founder, and pioneer of Dignified Menstruation, who started her advocacy as a response to her personal trauma, resisting menstrual restrictions. And her story is not one of alone. It is a story of many people who menstruate. The history of menstrual discrimination dates back even further than 40 years ago. It is an evidence of discrimination in all religious texts, from Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, condemning the menstrual blood as impure, dirty, and sinful, thus implying that the people who menstruate as sinners, inferior beings to their opposite, the people who don't menstruate. 
these misogynistic notions then translated into a wider social belief, values, legislations, and actions around menstruation and the menstruator. So menstruation globally is seen as a stigmatized condition, as defined by an abomination of the body, a blemish of the individual character, and tribal identities or social markers associated with a marginalized group. When we first began 40 years ago, we were working primarily in the menstrual hygiene and menstrual product space, which are a core necessity to menstrual equity. However, as we were constantly working on menstrual products availability or the lack of menstrual hygiene, we saw that it was merely symptoms of a deeply rooted condition. The mirage to the root of the menstrual discrimination, which is the right to dignity. And this was and is true for the mainstream menstrual movement, which traditionally has stakeholders from the global north, engulfed in a white savior mentality who have incorrectly identified the issues of menstrual equity as a lack of menstrual product and infrastructure as the only issue. However, the all-encompassing root issue remains the negligence and ignorance of menstrual discrimination and violence as a human rights violation. This is evidence since the beginning of social and human rights organizations like the Human Rights Declaration 1948, CEDAW, Convention for Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, CRC, and most recently, the Sustainable Developmental Goals of 2015, aiming to reach that by 2030. In all of these international forums, we have never acknowledged menstrual discrimination or the multifaceted impact of menstrual violence on the life cycle of people who menstruate, let alone a solution to eliminate such violence, all the while we are working on eliminating the symptoms of this very disease. So I ask you all here today, how can we work to achieve equality for all, eliminate child marriage? dissolve gender-based violence, and achieve good health and well-being for all, as stated by the SDGs, when we cannot even acknowledge menstrual discrimination as a gender-based violence and a human rights violation. What does it mean to characterize menstrual discrimination as the harmful traditional practices, pointing the fingers at the historically marginalized countries in the global south, as stated by the UN, when research shows us that menstruators around the globe lack adequate menstrual and sexual health education, pervasive stigma and shame, and are plagued with disproportionate legislations that restrict and control menstruating people's bodily autonomy and a right to a full-spectrum family planning and reproduction, which includes abortion. Thus, in Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation, we came up with Dignified Menstruation. Dignified Menstruation envisions a world free from any form of menstrual discrimination and violence associated with menstruation. Every menstruator deserves freedom from the shame and taboo around menses, removal of all menstrual restrictions, access to sustainable, safe menstrual products, clean water hygiene, high-quality sexual and reproductive health services and education, and bodily literacy so that we may live a safe and empowered and dignified life. Of note, menstruating people is inclusive of all people who menstruate, irregardless of their gender identity. The exclusivity of menstrual equity to people identifying as women has led to a creation of a especially vulnerable group of people 
identifying as trans men, queer and non-binary individuals who menstruate and are at best forgotten and in reality ignored. This leads to an increase in the risk for physical and sexual harm, menstrual poverty, increased social taboo and stigma, and medical negligence regarding not only gynecological and reproductive issues, but general health and maintenance. The ultimate consequence of menstrual discrimination is violence against menstruating people, manifested through the social norms, actions, and legislations, which leads to a disproportionate increased risk of mortality and morbidity for menstruating people. This manifests in the pervasive restriction of the menstruating body, lack of adequate uh, bodily education, rape culture, child marriage, and high rates of sexual intimate partner violence that kills approximately five menstruating people every single hour. Through countless research and advocacy, community outreach, and conversations through menstruators, we know that menstrual discrimination is actually a product and a diver of gender-based violence. The negative societal beliefs, values, and perceptions surrounding menstruation severely impact menstruators' psychological mind state, self-esteem, and self-empowerment, impacting their abilities to make informed, consensual decisions regarding their own bodies and health. How do we expect young menstruators to say no to child marriage, to unconsensual sexual advances, when we teach them to be silent about their bodies, their menstruation? When we teach them that their bodies are dirty, impure, and a subject of control from the greater society, the answer is that we cannot. The complex intersectional impact of misogyny, patriarchy, classism, ableism, and other social discriminatory lenses have marked menstruation as a taboo. And the people who menstruate as subjects of indignities and control, rendering them vulnerable to gender-based violence. For some, this results in premature death in form of sex-selective abortions when the female sex is discovered. For others, it is early marriage. For others, that is countless menstrual discrimination, both visible and invisible. It's inaccessibility to necessary birth and sexual health services like abortions. While for others, it's death. It's suicide just like the young girl in Kenya in 2014 who had all the access to menstrual products but ended her life when she was endlessly teased for menstruating in schools. And for the one in three women globally, it means sexual assault and rape in their lifetime. So what is the answer? We believe that the answer to this is to address the root of the issue, the lack of dignity and the human rights violation of the menstruating body. Continuing to prioritize these areas of menstrual equity like menstrual products and infrastructure will reinforce the ideas of impurity, dirtiness, and stigma around menstruation, the psychological impact of low self-esteem, lack of bodily knowledge and empowerment, lack of agency, and lack of bodily autonomy leads to higher rates of sexual and reproductive health conditions, barriers to care, sexual assault, and opportunities for gender-based violence like sexual assault, child marriage, and domestic violence. So we urge you today, listeners, within your organizations, governments, and individual work to adopt dignified menstruation movement into your work and your life, and it can be used as a multifaceted tool. And with this, I hand it back over to the team. Really, thank you so much for for sharing this story. There, There are so many questions that I know are are probably on our minds. What we want to do is we want to jump into this in in such a way as that we, we can really get a better feel for the the variety of efforts going on with the 
the Global South Coalition for Dignified Menstruation. I do want to introduce the people we have on the call real quick. Our recordings are, are typically the the combination of people who are members of the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley and our friends and guests who are, are in that space of we love to get, take in these programs and talk to these interesting people that we connect with. So from our club, we have, and please wave when I call your name, we have in the Bay Area, we have uh, Shag Shagrin. My name is Rushton. I'm in San Jose. From Guatemala City, Maria Schwab. From somewhere in the greater Sacramento area is Ferheen Abasi. In Vancouver, our, our president, Nick Lagarde, and longtime friend of the club and member of the Rotary Club of Eugene Metropolitan, Heather Edwards. Millie, I will start with this question. So we, we, we talk a lot when we, when we talk about helping young women see themselves with dignity from the standpoint of, of what kind of programs are out there. And so as I listen to your presentation, I, 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 I'm curious to know, is the group focused on, on political action around these issues only, or are there also specific programs for women in Nepal uh, who might be associated with Radha's work, or are there, are there other things that are going on through partners of the Global South Coalition that you can tell us about? Uh, yeah, so we have a very, you know, expansive sort of programs in both the social sphere and in the, and the social political sphere. So in Nepal itself, um, we've done a lot of work in the political sphere by, in, you know, encouraging and advocating for dignified menstruation to be adopted by the Nepal government, which they have. And Nepal as a country celebrates the International Day of Dignified Menstruation, which is on December 8th, which the, which the Global South Coalition of Dignified Menstruation established first in 2019. So it's been four years of consecutive celebration of this day that we have claimed in the 16 days of activism that the UN does in the later November, December time. So we have claimed December 8th as International Day of Dignified Menstruation. We run a lot of programs both in the governmental sphere and in local and national areas, both in Nepal and in all of the chapters that, that are included in Global South. So that means here in America, we all in the North America region, we also celebrate um, International Day of Dignified Menstruation. We recently um, had two programs that were physical um, in Oakland as well as in Los Angeles, uh, which were deemed celebration of menstruation programs, which was both a visual celebration and an acknowledgement of menstrual discrimination through different medium mode and mediums of art, fashion, music and performances where we highlighted, you know, menstruators and what we can achieve when we are given that ability to own our empowerment and to have a dignified life. We also have social media campaigns that we run on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Instagram is dignified underscore menstruation. We have weekly Menses Monday content where we kind of talk about a hotspot of Menses Monday as well as a Flow Friday. I have, you know, about 10 different um, board members members who are young, budding, um, undergraduate activists who are going to change the world. And, uh, you know, the power really rests with the youth. Uh, we also run a lot of different microfinances programs in, in both in Nepal and in different sectors in South America, as well as in Africa. We have a reusable um, pad kind of cloth factory in Nepal, which is the first reusable cloth factory pad program that exists. So yeah, a lot of different spaces that we're involved in. And you can know a lot about it in our uh, website, dignifiedmenstration.org. 
Fantastic. And you point to uh, one of the things about about this is that it touches upon so many other goals that are out there for improvement of communities. The And, and while perhaps not articulated explicitly in the uh, sustainable de- development goals, it touches upon multiple goals. When I think of Rotary's areas of focus, one of one of the one of the, one of one of the ones that we talk about quite a bit and and need to talk about more is is protecting women and children. Uh, and so, in thinking about this space, is there something that you feel service clubs can do? Service clubs of any description uh, can do to help those who menstruate better understand the the natural nature of of the biological processes they go through. Yeah, definitely. I think that there is a sort of this idea that when um, when we're thinking about services or 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 when we're, when we're in moments of uh, the sort of like emergency or urgency, like COVID nineteen pandemic, for instance, we tend to forget about menstruation or about gender equity or about anything that relates to these deeper issues that get exacerbated during moments of emergency or urgency. So for service clubs, I think it's important for us to always think about menstruation as one of the core human rights violations that exist up to date and one that touches on literally any sort of other kind of um, equitable goal that that one may prioritize in their club. So, for example, in COVID-19, we obviously were worried about this large pandemic that was happening. But something that, you, you know, our listeners may not know is that even though 75% of all healthcare workers are menstruating people all around the globe, when COVID-19 first hit and the PPE was made, the protective personal equipment for in order to avoid getting COVID, they did not account for menstruation. They simply, when the PPE was made, there was not a thought in the, in the folks who made the equipment or, or the policies around it that people who menstruate are 75%, more than majority of the healthcare workers, and thus will menstruate during COVID because menstruation does not stop for pandemics. It does not really stop for anything. So when I heard that fact, when I heard that nurses had to advocate for their own menstrual products and, and, and for policy changes that allowed them to remove their PPE and then regown them appropriately and with, you know, medical eff- efficacy in to prevent the infection, it was astonishing. In, you know, in 2020, we're still dealing with this. That's it. Let's pass the mic over to Heather Edwards, who has a question. Heather? Thanks, friend. Thank you for being here, Millie. Appreciate it. To sort of dovetail what Rushton was asking, we work with a young Rotarian in Nepal who's a past president and very active in a number of different things. And he was talking to us about goat and chicken projects that we're doing there and just kind of parenthetically mentioned, oh, and also we do feminine hygiene kits. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? And it was just this by the by sort of thing. And when he started talking about it, he got so excited. And I couldn't help but think how much opportunity men have to do some of that destigmatization work. When you hear a young man talking about it with excitement, with enthusiasm, this is a cool thing that our Rotary Club is a part of. That was such an eye-opener to me because I think in a lot of ways, not to make broad sweeping generalizations, I'm trying really hard not to do that, but I think sometimes men can hear men more easily. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions about ways that men as individuals and as Rotarians can talk about not just menstruation, but programs like yours or projects that other clubs are doing. Absolutely. And this goes back to kind of, you know, in the presentation, what I was alluding to is that 
menstrual discrimination and menstrual equity is a human rights violation and thus a duty and a responsibility on all human beings, regardless of your gender identity. And as you mentioned, we know that due to the traditional kind of, you know, mechanism of society, men, you know, cis men do have more of power and authority. So when these conversations are being had in, you know, maybe even only men's spaces or in spaces where there is a a big male dominance. And for them to bring up this idea of menstrual equity as an issue, as a prime issue that, that needs to be prioritized, it is so impactful. It is absolutely impactful. Because again, that power dynamic already exists. So in the, from the individual level to the um, organizational level, I think there's so much that men can do. In this, you know, one is to know what menstruation is, right? To actually know what, what is the biological and physiological pathway that the menstruation takes. Because I have found from working in a remote Western region of Nepal, Zumla, where there is no cars and no and no sort of, you know, urbanization to the Oakland, San Francisco, Bay Area, urban urban um, environment. I have worked in both spaces working for reproductive and sexual health services. And I will tell you that the issues that I have discovered in both spaces are so alike. It is uncanny. One would think that they are so pervasively different and they are not. So one, I think, is the lack of actually knowing what is happening. So one, we have to educate ourselves. We know that the education system tries, but there is a lot of things going on in the current education system. We have policies coming up in Florida right now that are that are trying to ban the talk of menstruation from high schools. So we really have to think about what do we know and what do we not know and where are our biases and where are the gaps in our knowledge? And yes, prioritize it. Bring it up. If you are in power and you are especially a a cis man who does not menstruate, take it on as your responsibility and duty because it is. A good question in the chat from uh, President Nick. In the corporate space, what does the coalition recommend companies do to recognize dignified menstruation? We love to work with corporate world. There's a lot of NGOs that shy away from the corporate world, but capitalism is here and it is here to stay for an unforeseeable future. Thus, we need to work in it. So with corporate worlds, we say that when you come, we are like consultants. So when you come and consult with us about how can you adopt dignified menstruation into your framework, we will talk to you. And And the way to think about this is policy. So what are you doing to support the policies in the in your areas? What are some of the political things that you are aligned with and how do they relate to menstrual equity or in general about bodily literacy or any sort of legislations around reproductive concerns? Also, if you are a corporate company that works in the menstrual space as in you're a product company, why why not change work, products like Whisper and Secret? To bold things like menstruation and menses. Why should I whisper about my menstruation? Why should I keep it a secret? What kind of messages are we sending to young menstruators entering into their main arc about what they should be doing with their menstruation? I remember hiding menstrual products in the sleeves of my jackets in high schools and middle schools and maybe even colleges, acting like I was involved in some sort of a lucrative crime, when in reality, I am just trying to do what is my human right. So for companies, I say there is so much that you can do. And doing so, you will see there's not been a lot of research done on this, but it is continuing so, and we are actually involved in it as well. 
looking at research that shows companies that support equitable messages, you actually are going to be favored more by consumers. You will increase your consumers' rates if you align yourself with dignified menstruation practices. Because we, as consumers, we want to hear about equity. We, we don't want to be you know, re reinforcing the same kind of stigmas and shames that have, you know, have been here for decades. I don't know if you recently saw this article that came out that they just recently did the first test on menstrual products using real blood. So for all these years, we have been using water, which is not the same consistency as blood, to test menstrual products. What has this resulted in? It's resulted in menstruators not knowing what is normal blood flow, what is abnormal blood flow, of them having misdiagnoses or no diagnoses of the menstrual issues that are pervasive like endometriosis and fibrosis. So there is so much that one can do. All right. So speaking of the many things one can do, and in looking over your your Instagram site, there there are a number of different pieces that that kind of came out to me as as being really really kind of interesting for possibilities and communities. One was talking about menstrual products being biodegradable, so you know the the obvious tie in with environmental efforts that way. The other is a is a celebration post that had to do with the availability of uh, menstrual project products for free to girls in schools in Hawaii. And so I'm curious about that, that tie to education as well. You know, to, to what extent does it require, for example, multiple ways of communicating a story in order to help schools and communities embrace the idea that girls should have these products available to them for free? Yeah. So I think, again, you know, I, we really, we have this campaign we're running sort of, you know, longitudinally until the UN um, officially acknowledges and recognizes menstrual discrimination as a human rights violation. I really, you know, we really believe that it, it will take a big entity to recognize it in order for there to be a widespread acknowledgement and, and the allocation of resources for this particular issue. Because there's not an actual acknowledgement that directly, you know, says this is a human rights violation and a public health issue. And thus, we have to actually work on this from the international, national, local levels. Because schools and such only work on these bigger, you know, national kind of entities that dictate where to put the resources, as do different programs. So I think in a in a larger level, I think with the UN accepting and recognizing this, that'll be one. Two is that in locally, I think that, you know, individuals can go to school boards and can, as parents, you have a lot of power in the school board. It may not seem like it, but you do. And so as parents, what we can also do is advocate for that. Show up to your school boards, speak about these things, ask, how are you, you know, protecting my student, I mean, my, my child in, in these areas? How are you providing for these things? And so I think, again, it relates back to first accepting the fact that this is a human rights violation and a necessity. It's like toilet paper. If school students were not allowed or were not given toilet paper and were told to bring it themselves. And we know from research that menstrual poverty is pervasive in globally, in the developed world, as well as the developing world, in every corner of the world. You know, young menstruators are having to, you know, exchange lunch money or not eat lunch or or forego menstrual products and use you know things like rags or tissue paper or whatever they may find. 
And then, like you said, it's also the quality of menstrual products, right? So are we using menstrual products that are known to cause toxic shock syndrome? Are we using things that cause infections, UTIs, and pelvic inflammatory diseases? Are we, are we, are we providing the best protective products for our menstruators? And is it environmentally safe? All of the things are so connected and they all will impact the most historically marginalized. The impact of it will never be to the elite. So, so let's do one, maybe two more questions before we finish the recording. Uh, Heather, I, I see that you have a question ready to go. Go ahead and, and jump in for that. Thank you. Again, this dovetails what, what Rushton was saying. Does the coalition recommend particular products over others or particular brands over others. I know when we've done uh, work with uh, Days for Girls and we have a few local agencies here that do a lot of work around making the little backpacks that you can put them in and things like that and then distribution. But we've encountered some issues in different communities where we had thought, well, maybe we can get the manufacturers of cups to make sizable donations, or if we buy $500 worth, will you match it, et cetera, et cetera. And community health workers in those areas do not want them because of the stigma that anything that goes inside will cost you your virginity, right? So we want to be respectful of the communities that we're working in, so we do the feminine hygiene kits in those communities. So at least those are sustainable and reusable. Does the coalition prefer the cloth hygiene kits and the cups, or... Is it more at this point just a question of access? And if that means tampons and pads, then that's what we do. I think the answer to it is multifaceted, just like how the question is. And I, and I know that you're alluding to that as well. It's, it's you know, for us, we, we really want to um, emphasize that we have to center the communities where we are doing the work. And the people that are, that are the leaders in that community have to be the ones to dictate what is happening. That doesn't mean that we then just fall into whatever is already the stigmatized beliefs of the community. So it means to provide the education along with it, right? It's to, it's to have, you know, dialogues and to have town halls, um, especially if you're working in the more rural settings, to talk about what is virginity and w what are menstrual products that you know, are inserted inside. But what does it mean to have virginity, to lose virginity? What does it mean to use monster products that are different? How can we, you know, work with the local community in figuring out, okay, if we did have a sizable donation of cups and, you know, uh, flex products, you know, is that going to be used? And if it's not going to be used, then no, we don't recommend to then distribute this in the community because that would be a waste of resources. It's again, to really uplift the community in hand and to work with the community members and the, you know, the community leaders directly to see what is actually possible. And then along with that, include information and education around the stigmatized beliefs that exist. And I think that, you know, especially with the, with the new research that just came out, what they discovered is that, you know, pads and products and other sort of tampons and the fabric products don't actually are not a good estimate of the blood loss and that cups and the um, the flex products which i don't know if you've heard of flex the company um they have a different kind of a product that's pretty new and so they've discovered that those things are actually better in terms of health and hygiene and um, lowering infection risks and and no no risk of toxic shock syndrome so i i'm hopeful that as more research comes out we can use that research to educate communities and to continue to work in desigmatizing these ideas around menstrual product use and the, the, the shame that exists. 
Thank you All so much. All right. Thank you. And so what we'll do is we will wind down. I will hand it back to Millie in a moment for the, the final word. It is, it is inspiring to hear from an activist who has acted on her, her, her cause as well. Uh, kudos to you, not merely for your work, but also for becoming a medical student. And, and one of the things that we, we very much want to say as a part of this recording is best of luck to you and your studies and all of your work to become a doctor. All of you who have joined us, thank you very much for taking time to hear the stories that we are sharing with the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. People across the world are doing all sorts of things to make a difference in the lives of others, to bring dignity to those who may not have had that opportunity to live in dignity before. And we ask that you share what you learn here with others and come back and, and catch more of our, our recordings. We want, we want to be able to share those stories that inspire you as well. For those of you who, who are visiting from other Rotary Clubs by filling out the attendance form on our page, the SiliconValleyRotary.com page, You'll get an email that you can pass along to your club secretary to make up a miss. And we also ask that you engage in conversation in our forum at the bottom of the page. If you are finding us via the, the YouTube channel that we have at, uh, at, at youtube.com, uh, then you can find out more about our club at rotary.cool. As we always like to do, we hand it back to the speaker for the final word. So, Millie, what would you like for people to have in mind as they finish watching the recording? Well, first, again, I just want to thank the Rotary Club for having me here today. We also have had recognitions from the International Rotary Club um, for Radha Paudel in Nepal. So thank you for the entire organization for continuing to uplift these voices and to center uh, menstrual equity as your priority as well. And as, we, as we're in the end, I just want to leave you all with these questions in mind. And this is both to the individual level and to any organizations that you may be a part of. For my menstruators, how will you center dignity in your menstruation starting today? Will you look in the mirror and recognize the stigma, shame, and taboo that society has painted you with? Will you take the steps to unlearn? Will you adopt dignified menstruation as a virtue of life itself? For my non-menstruators, how will you expand your knowledge of menstruation? Will you accept this responsibility and duty of menstrual equity, not just for the betterment of your fellow humans, but for yourself and for the greater society at large? Will you adopt dignified menstruation in your life to aid in creation of dignified life for all? Thank you so much. A powerful call to action. Everyone, we will see you next week.